There is an obsidian quill in our world. And with every stroke does it weigh upon its author, each press and drag by its unknowing master, it judges and it executes. A book exists whose power draws in unsuspecting souls, names, words, fooling them to become the executioner, the handle and the blade's edge. And a tale of a mysterious woman and a town who ignores her plight. She is not one of them. With the clan of howling beaks that echo through the night. Welcome, my lovely listeners, for three creepy-licious tales, cultured and read for your lovely ears. Turn off the lights. Do you hear it? The goblins of the night, the demons in the darkness. Turn up your radio, and let's scare those little bastards. The Black Quill When one writes an autobiography, a part of them is left on the paper. In the 1800s, many people of critical acclaim were writing autobiographies. Most of the people were shallow, placing the highest value not on friends or family, but on wealth and possessions. Because they had so much, the only thing left to do at the end of their life was to preserve it. They falsely held their own lives in such high regard, when in reality, they had just succumbed to an existence devoted to selfishness and greed. If an autobiographer wanted to preserve their life as memorable as possible, they would use the black quill when writing their autobiography. This quill seemed to have magic properties and was fabled to enable the writer to craft his or her story to perfection. However, this quill was in every way a feather, with one exception. It was made completely out of obsidian. It also bore an inscription. He who lives for no one but himself has not lived at all. Only people that have lived prosperous lives had the connections required to track down the black quill. The quill is controlled by one man, named simply, The Decider. In this time, any vain person certainly sought after the black quill if they wanted to chronicle their selfish existence properly. After said author tracked down the decider's whereabouts, he or she was then able to use the black quill. It really was as simple as that. The decider didn't charge for the use of his quill, nor did he ask for it back. After he gave the quill, he would only whisper, Shallow waters fade fast. And as quickly as he appeared, he would disappear, melding into the darkness. Afterwards, the author would then retire to his study and began the work of writing an autobiography. As the author wrote, the quill never needed to be dipped in ink as it had an endless supply. When the author wrote, words, ideas, and memories flowed as if the Black Quill was doing all the work. In a single half-hour session, the autobiographer would have his or her work completed. It was as if the author's soul had filled the paper. 
using the black quill as a conduit. If the author did not live a life of vanity, the quill would fade away, and the autobiography would have remained as a perfectly chronicled storyline of the author's life. However, if the author had lived a shallow life, filled with greed and trivial material things, something much more sinister would occur. They would look at their hands in horror as they, and themselves, faded completely from existence. It was such a complete fade from existence. It was as if they had never existed at all. Like the decider said, shallow waters fade fast. The Book of Names It was on a grim October morning that I chanced upon a rather odd and lengthy book while roaming about a particularly shabby library in Archangel, Virginia. The place was practically a historical monument, as it was built in the early 1800s and survived the passing centuries with little repairs done to it, besides the modernized innovations such as electricity and heating. Now, I am not one to delve into the dark arts or whatever you fancy calling it, but I was more than a little intrigued at this book's title, The Book of Names. It was large and sat upon a walnut brown desk that looked almost as old as the town itself. The creaking wooden chair that sat behind it looked the same. I slowly sat down on the chair, careful to avoid it collapsing if it was not as sturdy as I hoped. When I settled in comfortably, I took a long look at the book. The cover was characterless, as it only displayed a black void to me, though I did see the letters D.A. etched in small print at the bottom right of the tome. Initials, I assumed. The writer's initials. I took the cover in my hand and lifted it to a blank page. Taking that page, I lifted it to another blank page. And after lifting the second blank page, I finally discovered the words. The Book of Names. Below it were the initials D.A. again, and this time, under the initials, were these words. Those that do not know the power of the secret words would be wise not to read further. Those that do not know the meaning of names would be wise not to read further. Those that do not understand the meaning of these words would be wise to not read further. And those that are aware of the power of the secret words of the meaning of names and the meaning of the words thusly read, would be wise to continue reading with immeasurable caution. Do not abuse the secret words. D. A. As I read that passage, an overwhelming sense of apprehension came over me, but my scholarly interest forced me to turn another page. This page revealed to me a list of locations in very small, handwritten print. I soon realized that what I was looking at was a list of countries and the provinces, cities and towns with those countries. As I skipped to a few other pages, I found only a list of different countries, and came to the fact that this probably had every city, town, province or country in the world. After searching for a few minutes, I was able to find Archangel Virginia, United States of America, and then on the far right the number 3968. It didn't surprise me that the book had more than 3,000 pages in it. It was quite a behemoth. 
Turning to page 3968, I found a list of names that seemed to be in alphabetical order. Aaron Aronson? Aaron Abercrombie? Aaron Abernethy? The list of names went on and on for pages after. I skipped a couple hundred pages and found only more names. Skipping another couple hundred pages, I found only more names. Now skipping more than a couple thousand pages, I came across one titled Ritual Words. Turning that page, I found a list of words that did not seem to be English, though they were written with English letters. I read out aloud in a hushed voice, Nosaj, Nohodj, Fide? I don't know why. I don't know how to explain it, but to me the words sounded evil. I read another set of words aloud, Semaj, Exala, Ninog, and these sounded inhuman, unnatural to me as well. I continued to read the list of unnatural and evil-sounding words, but soon went back to the name section of the book. Going back to Archangel, I continued to read the names, name after names of names that I didn't recognize. But there was one that I did recognize. The librarian had told me that his name was Johannes Steinberg, and sure enough, here was the name. Johannes Rudolf Albert Steinberg. I said it out aloud. Johannes Rudolf Albert Steinberg. And then for some odd reason, stated the ritual words, Samaj Ixilla Enoch. I don't know why I thought something would happen. I suppose, I don't know. Then suddenly, I heard a woman scream. I jumped and turned around towards the direction of the screaming, quickly getting out of my chair to see what was the matter. What's wrong? What happened? Asked one of the men standing by also going to see what was wrong. The librarian. He's just... He just... He's dead! Shouted the woman, who I assume screamed in the first place. A gush of hushed voices erupted around the room. I stood there. The power of the secret words. Had I somehow killed the man by saying his name, and then the ritual words? The more I thought of it, the more I came to the grim realization that I may have caused the death of Johannes Steinberg. I ran back to that evil, venomous book that could not have been made by any righteous being and desperately searched for my name. I eventually found it and said, Andrew Shelton Ward. And then, Samaj Exler, Enoch. I had taken the life of a man and was not fit to live. I dropped. Those that do not know the power of the secret words would be wise to not read further. Those that do not know the meaning of names would be wise not to read further. Those that do not know the meaning of these words would be wise not to read further. The Howling of the Beaks a woman lied face down on the craggy shore, crumpled over a rock and dripping in the rain and the cold, scrambling down the jagged rocks that lay scattered surrounding the body. I landed beside her and turned her head over. I gasped. Small dark blemishes were visible on the deep indent of her face. Under her eyeballs and over her torn cheeks, their edges purple and bruise-like. Her head looked rotten and bleeding. 
Her exposed veins and arteries swelled out of a large part of her face, peeking out from folds of festering skin, and her beautiful eyes bulged out like a dying cow, staring silently ahead. She dripped with briny seawater, turned into a hideous pink by her blood. Her auburn hair poked out of tiny streaks of untouched skin on her forehead, and slowly regained its foothold on her scalp towards the back of the neck. From behind, she looked untouched. A crowd was forming around the shore, and a military hovercraft thundered overhead, through the clouds to places unknown. I reached over to close her eyes, exhaling deeply, <sighs> hesitating to touch her ravaged face. A droplet of water touched my forehead, followed by another and yet another. It was beginning to sprinkle. I hurriedly shoved my hand in the ragged pockets of the trench coat I was wearing, and produced a pair of tattered leather gloves. Putting them on, I kneeled beside her, and set my hand on her face. I brushed a few strands of hair off her eyes, and positioned my hand to close them. The eyes focused on me. I yelped and fell over like a mere child. Tears and rain blurred my vision. I sat there for a minute or two, I staring at her, and she staring at me. The bleeding had stopped, and the blood had started to coagulate, her pale hand outstretched limply by her side, weakly gestured for me to come. I slowly crawled forward, halting next to her, she was dressed in an ancient stained coat, worn with years of usage. She mumbled something weakly through her exposed and ripped gums. I leaned in closer, almost completely over her. She didn't seem to notice, and reached upwards, squeezed my gloved hand with a pale hand. I looked into her eyes. A weak voice rose up. I... I can speak. She whispered. I stared at her, confusedly. I... I can speak. She said again, with more emphasis. I kneeled there for what seemed to be hours. The sky was beginning to darken, and the glow of lights, saved only for the nighttime, began to illuminate the empty shadows of the destroyed ruins of the city. Thick, grey thunderheads grew larger in size by each passing second. Smoke billowed from the roof of buildings, from fires and stoves, from warmth that seemed to hug oneself lightly before wafting upwards to the heavens. From far away, a dog yelped, and people laughed. I checked a cracked watch that I had strapped loosely onto my arm. It was 7.15. I glanced down at her this mysterious woman, and held my breath, for she was lying with her eyes shut. Was she dead? I tried pulling my hand from her grip to no avail. Moments later, she coughed loudly, gagging on her own blood. I turned her sideways and it dripped sloppily out of the corners of her mouth, pouring down the rocks in unequal increments, spattering on pebbles and seaweed before getting absorbed by the thirsty sand. She looked upwards at me, as an infant would look upon its parents. Her teeth quavered. I can speak. 
she said once more. Her voice was weakened, but at the same time betrayed a semblance of pride. Her eyes welled up with tears, and the remnants of her lips arched into a vague smile. Her hand slowly parted with my fingers and pointed down the rocks, across the beach, and to a bloodied mask laying on the shore. I choked. The inside was covered in hundreds of needles and tubes, pointing menacingly outwards. It resembled a beak. It was raining with full fury now, and lightning flashed miles above us in the sky. The crowd of people had mostly dissipated, not wanting to stay in the torrential downpour. They had dinners to cook and friends to meet. I whimpered and focused my eyesight on her. You, you wear a beak? I asked, knowing the answer. She nodded slightly. I glanced away from her, feeling my face turn hot with tears. I gasped. The only people in the crowd remaining wore beaks. They stood in a rudimentary crescent around us. They were covered in hooded rags, soaked with water and refuse. Covering their faces was a terrible beak-shaped mask, extending about one half of a meter from their head. It was a dark gray metal with hundreds of tiny dents caused by years of damage and decay. Over their eyes were two opaque lenses, black colored and caked with grime around the edges. Sharp rods pointed upward along the sides, bringing the lower jaw of a horse's skull to mind. A low, raspy breathing emanated from three small vents located below their empty sockets. One of them procured a notebook from a pouch hidden within his clothing. Another one handed him a sharpie, which he snatched without diverting eye contact from me. Opening the book, he wrote quickly on a scrap of paper before ripping it out. He stepped forward and knelt, setting it at my feet. He stood up and returned to the others. They turned towards him briefly, before twisting back to face me. I gazed at him, momentarily, before grasping the note. She, she is, is dying, dying, it said. Because she removed her mask? I hollered, through the roar of the deluge. The one who handed me the notebook gravely nodded. I studied her bruised forehead and skinless cheeks, her auburn hair mottled with crimson blood and yellow teeth. Her beautiful eyes. Is there anything I can do? I cried. No response. Their eternal silence broken only by their hoarse breathing. And the patter of the rain was answer enough. I bended toward her face. I... I can speak. She croaked. Yes. Yes, you can. Her head sluggishly turned to peer beyond the shore over the innumerable waves of the bay, to the massive government citadel rising over the waters. She blinked, and her eyes lost their piercing focus. She slumped against the rocks, bereft of life. I knew she was dead. The beaks howled, an unearthly electronic noise penetrated my ears. I collapsed onto the rocks, clawing at my ears. To my horror, I feel a trickle of blood drip down the side of my head. One of the beaks crumpled onto the ground, wailing, weeping, sobbing. 
Their infernal cries pierced the night, echoing across the walls and the harbor. More furious than the roar of a lion, and more sharp than that of a saber, the beaks lamented into the oblivion of the night, cursing, screaming against the drone of the rain. From atop the government citadel, afar, the curfew siren rung. Lights one by one went out across the city, gradually plunging me into darkness. Eventually, the howling ceased. The beak, with the notebook, stood up and silently ordered the others. They surrounded the woman's body. Slowly picking her up, a mournful bellow replaced the screeching as they raised her above them. Taking her corpse into the obscurity of the night, the notebook beak remained with me. I was crouched on the ground, my trench coat saturated with rainwater. He wordlessly handed me his journal and descended into the rapidly rising fog. I hesitated for a moment before opening the front cover, scrolled onto a page of the notes with the words, Thank you. I closed the notebook and shoved it into the inner pocket of my coat, as to prevent the ink on it from getting more diluted. The rain was very quickly washing away all evidence of her existence, save one thing, her mask. I leaped down to the rocks, skidding my knee on a chunk of granite. I ignored it. I quickly arrived at it. The mask lay at my feet, glinting in the moonlight. It was identical to the masks of the others in size and shape, save for its shattered edges, and warped silvery rods bent facing in opposite directions. I squinted inside its cavernous maw. Oblivion greeted me back, cursing the world. I turned and disappeared into the mist. This story was written by the Minister of Fear. Well, listeners, we had a quill that can erase you from life and history. A book who holds the power to destroy by simply saying the word, or rather, words, and the strange tale of the Cult of Beaks. In the Cult of Beaks, how do you interpret the ending? Did they end up joining them? Following them into darkness to avoid the dangers of the curfew? I wonder what took place after that. And the beaked one with the journal who wrote thank you. Thank you for what? Maybe simply being with her before she died. If you know the answers or have some speculation, let me know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Lastly, a listener of mine has started their own podcast, and I'm stoked they've started that adventure. Me being me, I want to support them grow. So this is my shout out to you, Kai, and your comedy podcast, TabooCast. I've listened to the first episode, and it is funny. A good slice of life podcast. I'll include the link in the show notes if you're interested in checking the show out. Nothing like sharing the love. Now, mates, I have a new iTunes review that I can't help but read. In fact, reading iTunes reviews and new patrons is always the highlight of my week, mates. So here's the review by Eerie Cat, titled All the Love. All hail the tale teller. He might surprise you by sounding a bit like a hobbit. <laughs> Describing his afternoon old grey, but the tales he tells you are get under your skin creepy and he remasters old-timey radio serials with a light and lustrous touch that I am so impressed by and thankful for. 
Do not miss this podcast. Thank you so, so much, Eerie Cat, for your awesome review. You had me laughing and smiling the entire time while reading this. It's reviews like these that keep my blood pumping, and my Patreons keep the show's blood pumping. And speaking of Patreons, my White Tea Warlords, Matthew J. Bauer and Maya. Thank you so much for your support. And of course, my Earl Grey Enforcers, Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, and Peter Raffaelli. Thank you for your support. If you have a couple of seconds, swing on by my iTunes page, which you can find in the show notes and leave a review. You help other listeners like your lovely self find this podcast. Thank you all so much. And you, the listener on the other end, have a great day or night. Stay awesome, which is easy for you lot, and I'll see you Friday. And as always, till next, we meet.